0: Well, the Christmas sermons begin today. We're going to take a break from our uh, series in the book of Acts. We'll get back to that. But go to the book of Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, chapter 52, verse 7. We're actually going to be in a few different places in Isaiah Uh, The sermon today is called a 2,700-year-old Christmas song. Our theme this year is Go Tell It on the Mountain. Maybe that isn't like one of your favorite Christmas songs, but I got to tell you, it's one of the oldest Christmas songs because it goes back to Isaiah's day. The song as you and I know it today, actually, if you want to know the history, came about because a guy named John Wesley Work Jr. We'll put a picture of him up here. Uh, had a vision. He may have not originated the song Go Tell It on the Mountain, but he can take credit for the fact that we still sing it every Christmas. As the son of a church choir director, John Wesley Work Jr. grew up in Nashville, loving music. Even though he earned his masters in Latin and went on to teach ancient Latin and Greek, his first love continued to be music. And because of that, he decided that he wanted to be the first African American collector of spiritual songs. This proved to be a daunting task for Work because they were passed down orally from plantation to plantation. Very few were ever written down. But Work proved up to the challenge. Publishing his first book, New Jubilee Songs, and then his second book, it was in the second volume that Go Tell It on the Mountain first appeared. The original singers of the song fulfilled the same important task that the angels gave the shepherds that first Christmas night outside of Bethlehem, proclaiming that Jesus Christ is born. And thanks to John Wesley Work, so can we... It was 1907 that he gave us this song. Now that's a pretty impressive story, how we got the version we sing today, but this song goes all the way back, not just to the first Christmas, when the angels appeared to the shepherds, but even further back to one of the first people to ever get excited about Christmas, Isaiah. Now, when it comes to this song, there's so much history, and when you get into the book of Isaiah, we could spend years studying this book. But I want you to see today how this song sprang from Isaiah. This sermon today is somewhat of a biographical sermon about Isaiah, and it's somewhat historical about his day. You're going to see a new beauty and a new wonder to the song, Go Tell It on the Mountain. I hope it does become one of your favorite Christmas songs because of this sermon today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the book of Isaiah, one of the best books in the Old Testament we praise you, O Lord, and as we hear Isaiah's story today, and as we learn the, the background of this 2,700-year-old Christmas song, I pray that you would fill us with wonder at the Christmas child, Emmanuel, once more. Lead us to desire to go and tell the world that Jesus is born. We pray this in your name, amen. Amen. All right, so we're, we're going to be in Isaiah 52.7. That's kind of where the, the main song comes from. But we're actually going to spend a little bit of time earlier in Isaiah to get the ball rolling. So you can actually turn backwards, if you've got your place in Isaiah, to Isaiah uh, chapter 6. We're going, to, we're going to kind of start in all right. So the first thing you can jot down is this. Number one, Isaiah decided to go and tell the world about Jesus. Number one, Isaiah decided to go and tell the world about Jesus. He is a living, breathing example of somebody who did it. He, he went to tell the world, and that's why we have a whole book, because he decided to write it down. We are warping back in time to 740 B.C., 740 B.C., And what's happening in the world is the exile is coming because Israel was failing its mission. Israel was supposed to bring the Messiah into the world by following God. They kept ruining the plan. And uh, because of that, they were about to go into exile. They would become captives in the foreign land. Here's a timeline of the Bible. It's a rough timeline. And what you can see here is creation started everything. Then the fall happened, Adam and Eve, the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Then Moses led the Exodus into the promised land where Joshua and the judges took over. Then there were the kings. There were bad kings. There were good kings. And because of the bad kings, the prophets came up. And the prophets started confronting the kings, and that's where Isaiah is a prophet. So you can see where it says uh, the prophesied kingdom there. The northern kingdom would go to exile to Assyria. They would fall first. Then Judah would go into exile. Uh, they would go into Babylon and they would be destroyed second. Isaiah is right there. It was 722 B.C. when the first major exile to Assyria was going to happen. And then it would be 586 B.C. when the second giant one would happen. So we're at 740 B.C. right before the people uh, of Israel would be destroyed and would be sent off because of their disobedience. That's where we're at in biblical history. Now, the genre of the book of Isaiah is pretty awesome. It's prophecy, it's poetry, and it's a call to praise. You might see in your Bible, like if you have the NIV, that there's even, it's, it's kind of justified differently. You'll see it's not like one big paragraph, but it's, you know, when it's like, sh- it's, uh moved so that the paragraphs look differently. That signals the wisdom literature. It shows you that it's kind of poetry, and it's a different genre of, of uh, text, It's like an indentation on the formatting. Isaiah is the most quoted book in the New Testament, and so Isaiah decided to go and tell the world about Jesus. In chapter 6, Isaiah gets a vision of the Lord, and we could talk about this for the rest of our lives and not get to the bottom of it, but it says in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 4, The foundation of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And Isaiah said, Woe is me, for I am lost! For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. He touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for, verse 8, and I heard the voice of the Lord saying, get this, whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Isaiah said, here I am, send me. Here I am, send me. And he, God said, go and say to this people. And then he got his message. Isaiah decided to go and tell the world about Jesus. Jot this down. He said, here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. He asked to be sent. And is that your heart? Do you have a heart to go and tell people about Jesus? Have you said to God, show me who needs to hear? Give me a divine appointment this week. Touch my mouth and help me to know the words to say. Have you asked God to make you his messenger? God is calling out from heaven, who shall we send? Are you calling back, here am I, send me. Or like Moses, are you saying, send someone else? Oh, God got Moses to become the messenger he would become. But boy, was it a punishing effort. We shouldn't resist God's call. We should embrace it. Now, Isaiah was going to share plenty of bad news. In fact, he primarily shared bad news. In Isaiah 24, 3, he said this, The earth shall be utterly empty and utterly plundered, for the Lord has spoken this word. Isaiah prophesied the destruction of earth as you know it. That's bad news. But he had some awesome news to share as well. And in John 12 41, here's what it said Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory, that's Christ's glory, and spoke of him. Isaiah, 740 years before Christ, saw the glory of Christ and spoke of him. That's prophecy. That's good news. That's good news. Have you said, Lord, send me? Have you told your children the wonderful things about Jesus Christ? Have you tried to find a way to get the news to your relatives, your neighbors? Do you invite them to church and tell them that you're a Christian? At work, do people know when they see you with your Bible open that you are listening to God? Even your bowling buddies need to hear the good news about Jesus Christ. Are you going? Are you telling Now, this is a special calling Isaiah received, and maybe you, some in this church, young or old, could receive a special calling to surrender your life to go and tell as a minister, where you surrender your whole life to ministry. Maybe God is prompting you to say, here am I, send me for a special work that you're being set apart for. Do you have the confidence? Do you have the courage to go? Have you heard the call? Have you answered the call like Isaiah? We are ascending church. One of our four pillars is evangelism. We want to go and tell others the great news, and we want you to go and to tell other people because they desperately need to hear the life-changing message of the gospel in order to be saved. And we are called to go and to tell people and therefore to equip you to be confident and courageous. Isaiah decided to go and tell the world about Jesus. Jot this down. He foretold the birth of Christ, the true Emmanuel. Emmanuel. He foretold the birth of Christ, the true Emmanuel, and we are just skating on the surface of his life here. I wish we could stay longer, but uh, you can check out in chapter 7 what it says here. We're going to be in verse 10 in a moment, uh, but it says, again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Okay, who's he? Ahaz was king of Judah, the southern kingdom, and Ahaz had a great fear. His great fear was that Assyria, the empire, was coming to swallow up his land. Uh, I think we have a picture of the Assyrian empire here. We can put it up on the screen. So you can see the Assyrian empire in light green. Uh, that's where uh, it started. And then it became, you know, through Ahaz's day, the, the, the darker green, the, the wider green. Uh, and so Israel is there right in the middle, Jerusalem, Samaria, Judah, and Assyria is coming to overrun the land. And the Assyrians were wicked. They were ferocious. They were brutal. They were torturers. They, left, they took no prisoners, right, in, in war. And Then they deported people when they conquered these lands. So Ahaz was terrified, and he didn't know what to do. So um, Aram and the northern kingdom allied And said, let's go fight the bully. And Ahaz said, no, let's go pay the bully. (laughs) And tried to pay off Assyria to get them to not bug him. wasn't going to work. So now God is giving a word through Isaiah to Ahaz because all of these kings were doing the wrong thing. They should have been trusting God, and they weren't. So they were all going to get in trouble, and they were going to get a lot of people killed, but they were terrified. So here's Isaiah talking to King Ahaz, verse 11. Ask for a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as shale or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. Now, he had already decided to pay off Assyria. And he said, hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and he shall call his name Emmanuel which means God with us. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. What's going on here? You've got to understand the history. Ahaz's heart was shaking with fear because his land was going to get conquered. He decided to pay off Assyria. That wasn't going to work. And so the two kings to the north of him said, well, then we're going to take you out. Now he was even more afraid. God said, you've got nothing to fear. I'm with you. Give me a sign. I'll even give you a sign. He's like, oh, I don't even want a sign, which was stubborn refusal. He was being a stubborn fool, and he wouldn't let God be his strength because he was so terrified. This is what's going on. So the sign would be a child, And the child would be a sign that God would deliver him from his fears. God would be with him. Now, let me just say this. Whatever you're afraid of in life right now, and I'd love for you in your mind to just think of the top three things you're afraid of right now. (coughs) The biggest thing you're actually afraid of at the heart of it all is that God is not with you. Is that number one on your list? It should be. The biggest thing you're afraid of, if you're afraid of anything else, is that God is not with you. That he wasn't with you, that he isn't with you now, or that he won't be with you when you need him most. That's your greatest fear. That's what leads us into all sorts of sin and folly and shame. So Emmanuel is what you need right now. And God is giving you a sign in the child of Christ that he is with you, which should take away your greatest fear that God is not with us. Ahaz was shaking with fear because he feared God was not with him. He wouldn't even hear a sign to prove God was with him. Don't be like foolish Ahaz. Ahaz's son, Hezekiah, would actually believe God is with him. And if you know your Bible, you know that when Assyria finally came to the walls of Jerusalem, you know what happened? God was with him. And Isaiah and Hezekiah together prayed, and 186,000 soldiers of Assyria were put to death like that. Now, that was supposed to be dad's story, but dad fell into fear, so it became Hezekiah's story. It would have been the story, but he didn't trust. Let's talk about what it means to have a sign. The child was a sign, and in Isaiah's day, it would be Isaiah's son. A sign could come after something God did as a reminder, like the rainbow that reminded us what God did in Noah's day but a sign can come before as a countdown clock to what God would do. That's the way it's happening here. Isaiah's son would serve as a sign, a countdown clock, so that by the time he becomes a teenager, two of Ahaz's greatest beers are gonna be gone, 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 done, done. Done. Then the big one's gonna come, Assyria. But even that God would take care of. So Isaiah's son would become a sign, a countdown clock, but we read about this child in chapter nine verses six to seven. In chapter nine, verses six to seven, but the things that start to be said about this child clearly cannot be said of any human child. It says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Oh my goodness, this is a divine child. What we learn here is this sign had an immediate fulfillment in Ahaz's day. Look, I'm going to take care of the things that you were afraid of to show Emmanuel. I'm with you. But then once that was done, that became a standing stone for hundreds of years, Because there would come another child who this sign looked ahead to. And Christ, the wonderful Emmanuel from heaven, would have been heralded by this initial sign. Often prophecies have an immediate fulfillment and a later fulfillment. That's what's going on here. So God was just not saying, Ahaz, I'm with you. God was saying, humanity, I will come be with you, Emmanuel, in this child like never before, this divine child. So Isaiah said, here am I, send me. He foretold the birth of Christ, the true Emmanuel. And I wonder if that's what you need to hear today. Whatever you're afraid of, whatever makes your heart tremble and sway, whatever is past, present, or future, Emmanuel, God is with you. That's what it all comes down to. Do you believe that? Do you believe Emmanuel? Do you believe it? Or is your heart shaking with fear? This is what Isaiah is telling us. All right, now number two, jot this down. God gave him great news to share. And this is where we're going to go to chapter 52. God gave him great news to share. Now, in Isaiah chapter 52, we are going to... uh, Here, where the song, Go Tell It on the Mountain, came from. So in Isaiah 52, 7, uh, here's what it says. We'll actually start in verse 5. It says, Now therefore, what have I here, declares the Lord, seeing that my people are taken away for nothing. Their rulers wail, declares the Lord, and continually all the day my name is despised. So the people are in exile in this vision here. Therefore, my people shall know my name. Therefore, in that day they shall know that it is I who speak, here I am. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, that's Jerusalem, your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice, together they sing for joy. For eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations. And all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Depart, depart, go out from there. Touch no unclean thing. Go out from the midst of her. Purify yourselves, you who bear the vessels of the Lord." For you shall not go out in haste, and you shall not go out in flight. For the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. All right, so this is great news, and this is our main text that we're drawing from. God was coming down to be with us like never before. This describes, and you see how there's the indentation again, this is a poem, this could be even a song, this is a call to singing for sure, but this is a way that God is saying, I am returning to save my people, I am with you, we should go tell that on the mountain. The picture here is actually of a runner running ahead of the Lord, announcing to the people of God that he is coming. And this is drawn upon from the Apostle Paul in Romans 10 to say this is what we should become as well, the the ones who run out ahead saying the Lord is here and he has come. It's a beautiful thing upon the mountains, the feet of those who bring good news. Good news is where we get the word for the gospel in the New Testament and evangelism, sharing the good news, publishing peace, bringing the good news of happiness and salvation to Zion, saying your God reigns. God gave him great news to share, and it's for the whole world. In verse 10, the Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. When it comes to Israel, you might say to yourself, what does this have to do with me? I mean, Israel, captivity, sounds like they've got some geopolitical turmoil. All right, here's the thing. Israel's role was to uh, be a light to the nations and the Gentiles, that's us, They were supposed to usher in the Messiah, that's Jesus, so that we could go to heaven. If Israel fails and gets wiped off the face of the earth, do you know what that means for you? Do you know what that means for you? Uh, No Christmas, no Easter, no heaven. I hope you see the grave consequences of what happens if God doesn't come back to his people here and save them, all right? You're not going to heaven. If they don't get out of this, you're not going to heaven. Do you see the connection here? Do you see how your eternity is on the line with what's going on in this very passage? Do you see that? Do you see that this good news is for you and for me? God's got to come. God's got to save. Both my grandpas were in World War II. I heard stories from them, stories of my grandpa getting blown up into a hole and a cow falls over the top and he can't get out and somebody's got to come. My other grandpa's supposed to go to the front line, gets called back. Nobody from that unit comes back that day. And I'm listening, thinking to myself, Grandpa better get home okay or I'm not coming into the world. you see what I'm saying? you see what I'm saying? I am personally invested in grandpa getting out from under the cow in the foxhole while the Germans are coming. Okay? You should read the Old Testament the same way. They better get out of this. God better come back or I'm not getting to heaven. You should see the connection. This is great news, and it's great news for you and me. Well, what's the great news? Jot this down. Peace with God is necessary and possible. Peace with God is necessary and possible. The good news who publishes peace. Peace with God is necessary and possible. Israel's greatest problem, our greatest problem, was not the surrounding nations. They were at war with God. They were at war with God, and so are we. So are we. You and I were born hostile to God, and therefore we are in peril, not just them. It says in Isaiah 59 too, we'll put that up on the screen, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he does not hear. The whole getting deported to another nation actually just acted out a much bigger problem. They were separated from God. They had a spiritual problem. The war coming on their borders acted out a bigger problem. God was at war with them because of their sin. You and I have that same problem. We have that same problem. Therefore, we need peace with God. Listen, and I'm not talking about yoga peace. I'm not talking about serenity now i'm not talking about peace of mind i'm talking about the end of the rebellion that you and i have staged against heaven from birth that's what i'm talking about and if you don't think you need that wake up because you desperately need peace with god from heaven we love pastor alex we planted a church in Kiev, ukraine several years ago and we're praying for him because his nation was invaded they're at war And one of my friends who uh, was in my preaching cohort named Garrett is a part of an organization that brings food uh, into the far eastern parts of Ukraine where the war is the worst. I talked to him last week, and he gave me kind of an update of what he saw when he went in for a week. Uh, And he's got a picture here of one of them. He He said, look, once you get far east, every house is damaged, every building is damaged, the signs of war are everywhere. He said, there's devastation, there's rubble, there's no power, there's no running water, he said, a lot of these people don't have the daily necessities, so we're kind of going in to help them out because of the, the damage, the terror of war. And here's another picture. And they said, we do what we can. We just try and get some food to them. We try and get some water. We just meet them where they are. Uh, but there's a lot of fear. Uh, they're desperate folks. And this picture of war um, is, is how you should think about your relationship with God and how you should look around and see the world. Our world is at war with our God. And just as we long and pray for peace to come for our brother in Ukraine, we long for this peace from heaven to come on earth because the world is at war with God. In 2 Corinthians five twenty to 21 here's what it says, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I love that. We're ambassadors from heaven, going to people who are at war with God, presenting his terms of peace. He's the Prince of Peace, and only he can end the hostility that you and I have had from God since before birth. You know, a lot of people don't believe this. They don't describe their relationship with God as being at war. They think they're great with God. Oh, God and I, we're best buddies. The big guy upstairs has been there for me. If there's never been a signing of the peace treaty between you and God, the war continues. And you have to come to the table, surrender everything before Jesus Christ, and only he can bring you to peace with God. Have you invited Jesus to be your prince of peace? This is the good news Isaiah talks about The good news that would come in this child, Emmanuel, peace on earth. Jot this down next. Salvation. Salvation. We can be saved from sin and death. Good news, verse 7, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Salvation basically means to be saved. And being saved means being rescued from sin and from death. So salvation, you can write that down, we can be saved from sin and death. Here a messenger is coming, and it says the watchmen kind of see him first. He's coming over the mountains, and he's saying, God is coming, therefore he won the victory. The idea here, it takes on several dimensions, but basically it's a picture of a herald coming over the mountain back to Jerusalem, saying, God won, and he's coming back. It seems to indicate there's captives with him, that he's, he's bringing these people who have been saved uh, with him in this new exodus, this new calling out of bondage. And there they come, they're all coming back, and the watchmen are filled with joy, and they're telling the whole city, he won and he's here. That's salvation. This idea of being brought back from bondage and saved from certain disaster is salvation. In Isaiah 257 to 8, here's what it says. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. Clearly what's happening here is God is not just saving Israel from one more deportation. He is going to overthrow death itself. And the great news is not just, oh, our forefathers of faith are coming back again because they were messing up. What's happening here is God is going to destroy the whole enterprise of death, reverse everything, all of its effects. That's the great news that's being announced to us. Death is going to be defeated. Therefore, the message is for you. You can be saved from sin. You can be saved from death itself because Emmanuel, God with us, is going to win the victory. Wow, that's great news. And it's great news for the whole world. It says in Isaiah 45, 22, Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Hey, do you believe what the Bible teaches? Do you believe the good news Isaiah is declaring that we are doomed without salvation from above? That death is coming? The Assyrian Empire nothing compared to the kingdom of darkness the spiritual realm which will swallow up your soul forever and ever and ever and ever if you're not saved do you believe that you need to be saved that's the good news of salvation because Emmanuel the one who would be king of kings lord of lords is coming with the victory and you could be part of his kingdom so what's the good news peace, salvation, jot this down, redemption. Redeemed, we can be rescued from slavery. Redeemed, we can be rescued from slavery. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice together and sing for joy. For eye to eye, verse 8, they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people, he has redeemed Jerusalem. The idea of redemption means being rescued from slavery. So, Of course, the greatest rescue from slavery, the greatest jailbreak in the Bible is when Moses told Pharaoh, let my people go or God's going to pound your nation with plagues. And Pharaoh was like, I don't even know who God is. Big mistake. And so Moses eventually led uh, over a million complaining people through the desert for 40 years into the land of promise. But he had to rescue them first. That's redemption. Here's a picture of Moses confronting uh, Egypt. I love this artist's rendition of Moses going to the mighty superpower of the day. I mean, you're talking, wow, the pyramids in the background and the Pharaoh with his might and his army and his chariots. He's let my people go. Pharaoh said no, so great judgment came upon them. And then here's another artist's rendition of the Red Sea. And Moses walked the people of God through the waters of death on dry ground, leading them to a land of promise. This is much more than just Uh, crossing a body of water. This is a picture of what Jesus needs to do for you in the spiritual realm. He needs to part the waters because you're doomed. He needs to walk you through those waters of sin and death and lead you into a land of promise. He needs to break your chains of slavery, bring you out of Egypt. you see how it's acting out our spiritual needs? That's called redemption. That's called redemption. Therefore, just as Israel had to depart from captivity in Assyria and in Babylon, we need to depart from captivity of sin and slavery to sin. We need to come out from that. Hey, do you agree with God's word about your true hopeless spiritual condition? That you are bound and shackled and you can't get out. That you'll never stop sinning and that the punishment will be you'll be set apart from God for eternity. And that's the good news of why Jesus had to come down, to break your shackles and drag you out into a land of promise. Do you believe that? The bad news leads to the good news. If you say to yourself and others, well, I'm a pretty good person, you just don't understand. You just don't understand. The Bible actually says you're a pretty dead person. You're dry bones in a pile on the ground. And if God doesn't speak and give you life, you're hopeless, you're doomed. You need to be redeemed. You need to be saved. You need peace to come because you're at war with God. That's what the Bible says. It says in Isaiah 42, 6-7, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness." This is first and foremost what Jesus needs to do for you. He needs to bring you out of the dungeon, out of darkness, into the light, and save you forever. Then he makes you one of his messengers, and you go and tell these very things, which the Apostle Paul told all around the Roman Empire, that salvation is open to everyone and anyone. Do you agree that you need to be rescued from slavery? And then jot this down, we can worship the heavenly king. We can worship the heavenly king. This was the king returning. It says in verse 7, Your God reigns. The king is returning and all the earth is seeing it. There has to be this coming out, the redemption spoken of in verse 11. Depart, depart, go out from there. Touch no unclean thing. Go out from the midst of her. Purify yourselves, you who bear the vessels of the Lord. This is a captive people leaving Babylon, leaving Assyria, bringing back the temple vessels, but it also portrays you leaving your life of sin decisively once and for all. For you shall not go in haste, you shall not go in flight, the Lord will go before you, the God of Israel will be your rear guard. This is a new exodus, and it describes a spiritual exodus of you being removed from sin and death forever, forever. We can worship the heavenly king Hey, do you rejoice in Christmas as the return of God, as the heavenly king in Christ? And has he become your king? So we sent out Pastor Mark and Sarah last year to uh, Scotland, Glasgow, to be kind of our missionaries there. They're going to focus on church planning in the western uh, part of Europe. And so they send out these missionary reports each month and... Jude, their son, went to school one day and they said, Oh, we're going to be a special guest in school today. Oh, a special guest. And here's a picture of that day. Jude is over on the left. Uh, You've got to put that picture up there. We've got, do we have that picture of the king? Can you put that picture up there? There it is. Jude is over on the left and the king of England is on the right. Oh, yeah. He got to meet the king and the secret service is there watching over those dangerous little children, making sure that they don't hurt the king. (laughs) It's like, what? So Jude comes home, and Sarah's like, well, who'd you meet? The king of England. What? You met the king? People would think it's pretty cool if you met the king of England. Hey, it's even better if you've met the king of heaven. Have you met the king of heaven? Do you know him? I know him. Have you met him? Has he saved you? Has he redeemed you? Has he rescued you? Are you on the "I'm going to do-it-myself" plan? Hey, you need the King of Heaven. That's what Christmas is all about. Where is the one who was born King? the wise men said, if they traveled a thousand miles, wow. All right. So number one, Isaiah decided to go and tell the world about Jesus. Number two, God gave him great news to share: Peace, salvation, redemption, a heavenly king. Number three, jot this down. How should we respond? How should we respond? You now know where Go Tell It on the Mountain came from. It's a 2,700-year-old Christmas song that Isaiah first wrote. I feel bad for Isaiah. 700 years before Christ, he's like, jingle bells, jingle bells. and Everyone's like, just stop. We have no idea what you're talking about. No, you don't get it. It's going to be awesome. There's going to be... We don't know what you're talking about. He knew it. He saw it. How should we respond? Jot this down. Repent and invite Jesus to be your king. This is a turn around message. This is a you need to be saved. Repent and invite Jesus to be your king. This is me going on this little mountain here, our stage, and telling you the good news that you need to be saved. This is the great news. This is the gospel. And if you receive Jesus as your heavenly king, you'll live forever. It says in Isaiah 1:18, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. You don't need to be afraid. You don't need to be ashamed. doesn't matter what you've done. You can be washed of all of your sin and forgiven. That's why Jesus came. Is Jesus your king? Are you forgiven of all of your sin? And then jot this down. You can sing for joy that he came down to save us. You can sing for joy that he came down to save us. This is a call to... The watchmen are singing, verse 8, together they sing for joy. Verse 9, break forth together into singing. All of the earth sees it and is called to sing in this passage. Do you sing for joy that he came down to save us? Remember what I said at the beginning. The primary message behind this is the joy and the good news that Emmanuel, God, is with us. We have nothing to fear. We struggle with joy, don't we? We struggle with joy. Often, we just kind of go through the motions, but we're really terrified on the inside, and so we're not joyful, and we're not even joyful around Christmas. Here's a picture of kids who are supposed to take a happy picture for their family, okay? Okay, and that's often us. That's often us. Maybe not on the outside, but we come to church and we're like singing, but on the inside we're like, I'm terrified. My life isn't where it's supposed to be. There's all these things that are clamoring within us and we're not rejoicing. Hey, look, the whole point here is, Emmanuel, God is with you. You can sing for joy. You can sing for joy because God is with you. I love Isaiah 64:1. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that's Christmas, that the mountains might quake at your presence. It happened. Do you realize what I'm telling you? God came down, He's with us. The King of Heaven was born in Bethlehem. That should fill you with joy. Fill the angels with joy. It filled the shepherds with joy. Does it fill you with joy? And then jot this down tell others the amazing news. You know him and you want to go tell others about him. That's what's going on here. Tell others the amazing news. Isaiah himself is, of course, doing this. And maybe you're saying, well, I wish like Isaiah. I could write a 25,000 word ancient poem, you know, but I just can't do that. Hey, it's all right. You don't have to be as awesome as Isaiah. You just have to shine wherever you are. Let me close with an amazing story. I preached at a sister church down in Joliet of ours, Mosaic Joliet. We helped to plant that church a year or two after we launched. When I was down there preaching, I saw an article on the wall that talked about one of their members. And so I want to share that story with you. It's a great story about a man named Carl Henning. In 2012, 97-year-old... 97 year old Carl Henning was going for a walk on a Sunday morning. He got nosy, like old people sometimes do, when he walked past the middle school where Mosaic Church used to meet. He saw them setting up the stage and decided to attend church. Carl Henning told people God had been working on him since he was 94 <laughs> when his Polish cleaning lady invited him to pray with her before eating. However, his wife Esther had also tried to get him to church for all 75 years of their marriage, but he said he would rather play golf. She passed away in 2011, and there they were in 2012, a year later, a widow now at 97. Carl decided it was time to find God. He heard the preaching of God's word and felt the love of God's people, and he learned about how Jesus came down to save him. He heard the Christmas story, which was extra special to him because he had been born on Christmas Day. And at 99 years old, he gave his life to Jesus Christ. Stood up in a service and got saved. So when Carl's 100th birthday drew near in 2015, the church threw him a Christmas party and the local paper wrote an article about him. Here's a picture. And they told the entire city about Jesus through Carl's story. Hey, look, I don't know how God's going to use you, but your story is part of his great story. the only thing you have to answer is this. Are you ready to go and tell others about Jesus Christ? If you say to God, here am I, send me, he'll use you. Let's pray. Father, we do pray. Here we are. Send us. We want to go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. We don't know where you'll lead us. We don't know where you'll call us. We don't know who needs to hear the message, but Give us divine appointments this week. Help us to see those people that we're overlooking, those people who need peace, those people who need joy, who need salvation, those people who need redemption. Show us who they are and call and command us to go forth confidently and to tell people, Emmanuel, you have nothing to fear. God is with us. Help us to find our voice, whether it's a simple invite to church or whether it's a sit-down, checking in with somebody we love, reassuring them, even though their heart trembles and shakes in fear, hey, you have nothing to be afraid of. He came down. He did it. Help us to go. Help us to tell it on the mountain. Make us your messengers and remind us of all the wonderful heavenly things that we have in Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that you would use us. Use us to spread the good news through this 2,700-year-old Christmas song, which is our theme this year. And we pray this in your mighty name. Amen.